So I wonder if I were to ask people to cast their minds back to school, how easy that would be. For some of us, uh, it'll be far easier because we are um, so young and fresh-faced. For others, uh, it might be a little bit more of a challenge. But if we cast our minds back to school, I imagine for most of us, uh, the experiences would have been fairly similar in places. For instance, how many of us made sure that we had eaten all of our lunch by the end of break time? How many of us found that lunchtime was far too short to play football? How many of us found that the best weather was saved for science lessons? Or, I remember this one very clearly, dinner ladies seem like your very best friends, like the nicest people in the whole wide world, until you grazed your knee and then they got the antiseptic wipe out and just went straight on into the wound. They were the best people until that moment. And then for some of us, there would have been this deep-rooted desire for recognition. It happens all across school. We see it all the time from the rebel who wants the class to admire the fact that they break the rules, the joker who has no problem being in detention so long as on the way out there's laughter, or you may have been like me, someone who was just desperate for authority to recognize them. Now, I had a very narrow opportunity for recognition in school. Uh, I wasn't funny, so that was a problem. Um, I wasn't hugely academic, so that created a challenge. I was terrified of getting in trouble because I was brought up in church and told that was bad. So I was left with trying to get recognition from teachers. As I said, not particularly academic, but I was particularly good at blagging it. One of those unique gifts where I could think on the spot quickly. So the scenario that I'm sure you've all seen, and then many of you who still teach will find it, you would be sat in class, the teacher would start the question, can anyone tell me? And my hand was up at this point. At this point, I was like, I know the answer. I've got it. The teacher would stop. Yes, Tim. And there would be that awkward pause where I realized I had no idea what the question was. Not a clue. I'd be gently reminded that maybe in my best interest and the interest of the class, if I waited for the completion of the question before enthusiastically throwing my hand in the air, it would benefit everyone. There are, of course, those rare occasions where I would just hear enough of the question to blag an answer. The teacher's face would show that I got it right, and they were fairly annoyed that I'd managed to get it right without them finishing a sentence. But on a whole, I found myself making this awkward moment. Other opportunities, I'm sure, again, some of us had them, would be that chance to come forward with work to see the teacher. I'd bring my work forward, I'd present it, I'd stand there waiting for them to realize that before them was gold. Before them was a masterpiece. Often the response would be, Tim, why have you colored in all of the squares in maths class? We were doing 75% of them. Particular memories, and these are genuinely, this is true, the maths one might have been fictional, but this one is genuinely true. I presented a piece of English work in my English class that was meant to be about my holiday. What it was made up of was my dream starting 11 for Liverpool in the coming season, to which I felt was a valid use of my holiday, but my teacher was less impressed. You see, I wanted to get it right. I wanted it to be okay. I wanted that recognition someone to tell me I was doing good, someone to look at what I'd achieved and give it value. 
So I wonder for you how far back you need to cast your minds. Is it all the way to school? Was it last month? Was it this week just gone at work where you decided you needed someone else to recognize what you'd done? Someone else to give you that pat on the back. This morning's reading is going to be about a young gentleman who came to Jesus with a wonderful CV, an amazing collection of things he'd done. I think it gives us a wonderful insight into sometimes how we find ourselves desperately striving for recognition. So I'm going to invite Sarah to come to give us our reading this morning. Matthew 19, 16 to the end of the chapter. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, let's just pray a moment. Well, Father God, I want to thank you for that word. God, I want to thank you for that exchange. And I just pray this morning we would be able to engage with it. Father God, this morning we would see past uh, just how long ago it was said. God, we would see past some of the things that maybe aren't culturally relevant to us right now. And God, we would, we would see your heart for us in that passage. Amen. It's an amazing opening question that we see in this exchange. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This young gentleman has hunted down Jesus. We read this account across three of the Gospels. We see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we can tell already this is significant. There is something important about this exchange. So this gentleman has run. He's run to find 
Jesus. And this morning I want to unpack this message for us to see what it has to say to us. And I want us to know one thing as we begin. This is a message of liberation. This is a message of huge liberation for us. If we hear the words of Jesus this morning, it will be able to change our lives. This young man represents a whole host of us. He represents a whole host of us in many different ways. We hear in the accounts that he was rich. This young man was well off. He was young, as I keep referring to. He was prominent. We read across the accounts. We find out that he was clean, which I think is a fairly good start, but he was clean. He was keen, and he was reverent. This young man was a strong, strong candidate. He played by the rules. If you were picking a team and you wanted good people, this guy would go as your number one pick. Team Jesus in this situation is about to get one of the good guys. He has got so much going for him. So much going for him. So much that maybe as we looked at him, we would be like, you know, we could do with someone like that. He was rich. The offering was never going to run dry once this guy was on team. He was young, the potential to mold him into a super disciple. He could follow Jesus around. He was young. He would be able to be molded. He was already prominent, showed signs of leadership, quite possibly already serving in a synagogue. This guy's got so much going for him. He was clean. Incredible that they tell us that, but significant. He was quite clearly a well-presented gentleman. You have got your spearhead, your public figure, stood there before you. He was clearly keen to learn. He'd run to Jesus. Then he was reverent. We read that he fell and knelt before Jesus in Mark's account. He has got so much going for him. I love being here. I love you guys. If this gentleman walked in the back door this morning, I would suggest you fire me and you hire him. Because this is credentials right there. These are amazing credentials. There is a CV there. You know, he's walking to the front of class with some of his work. He's just knocking it out of the park. He's a good guy. But we read in these accounts, there is something troubling him. In amongst all of this great stuff, there is something still troubling him. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? With that stack of good things, that incredible list of good things, we see this guy troubled by one very significant question. With everything he's got going for him, with everything he already does, every way he already serves, all the things he already can say and teach and do, he is troubled by this question. As we would understand it, He is asking Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to find salvation? A poster boy for the message of Jesus finds himself questioning whether he is even really following Jesus. So Jesus asked him the question outright. Jesus answered, then come, follow me. The conclusion to the answer Jesus gives finishes with that line, then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went 
away sad. Everything he had going for him, the simple question, come follow me, left him walking away sad. I want to ask you this morning, where are you? Where are you at? What do you lean on? Seems like an incredibly challenging question for the start of the summer holidays. It's warm. But where are you at? As we unpack it, I want us to look at what Jesus says. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not have, give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man responds, all these I have kept. I wonder if we did an old school bar chart. Across the bottom we put the commandments. Up the side we have a list of the people present. How many of us would be able to peek on the bar chart? How many of us could raise our hands to having never murdered, never stealing, honouring our mothers and fathers? What would the graph look like? Which one of us would get top marks? This young man is acing this. He's acing this. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, you know what, Tim? The Ten Commandments, they are like, that's easy. That's like primary school challenge. Like, I'm crushing a master's degree right here. I've read my Bible cover to cover ten times, including Lamentations, and I've censored Songs of Solomon. Like, I am on it. I don't just pray. I've built an entire prayer house, and I pray there five times a day for five hours at a time. I don't just come to chapel on a Sunday. What I do is I park in the car park on Tuesday and I listen to the podcast of Sunday's message because two services a week is just not enough for how committed I am to this. I tip 11%, not just 10. I don't touch plastic. That's how concerned I am about the world. I don't drink coffee because I can't guarantee it's fair trade. I got a tattoo with scripture on my arm. Jesus, I am crushing this. I ate soap because I once said the word pants. I own more Bibles in my house than I do plates. I only listen to Christian music written before the turn of the century. Look at my work. Look at what I've made. Look at what I've done. Jesus, recognize me. Jesus, look at me. Look at what I'm doing for you. Please just recognize me, Jesus. And we read this in the Gospels. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many, many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. In the context of our reading today, it sounds like this. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Everything he had going for him. Cast your minds back. He was prominent, clean, keen, reverent, poster boy for everything that these guys were doing. We read he's walking away from Jesus. 
with sorrow in his heart. Walking away from Jesus, sad because of these truths. Please hear these this morning, these truths. My face, my, sorry, not my face. My faith is not about keeping score. My faith isn't about racking up recognition. My faith isn't about how much I've achieved, how much I store up, what you think of me. Your faith is about Jesus. My faith is about Jesus. So it comes down to this very key question. Earlier I asked you, where are you at? This question I would suggest is bigger. What won't you give up for him? What are you holding on to so tightly that you won't give up? What is it in your life that would cause you in this encounter to turn on your heel and walk away from Jesus with sorrow in your heart? I want us to be fully aware the guy that we're talking about, this young, rich gentleman, is no villain. He's not a villain, he's not stupid. In fact, the way he's lived his life suggests that he's not looking for an easy pass. He's not trying to fast forward his way through things. Yet he is challenged by this question. And he is not willing to let go of all that he holds on to tightest. He is not willing to release that which he feels validates him. That which gains him recognition. So the question is, what do you need to let go of? Church, what is it you need to let go of? You know what? Attend less things. Drink unfair trade coffee with plastic straws. Just don't miss out on what Jesus is calling you to. Don't be so concerned with what looks right on the outside that you miss out on what's going on on the inside. Don't get so wrapped up in the presentation of who you are, of the recognition you get from others, that you miss what it's all about, that incredibly simple command, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Like I said, I believe this is a message of liberation, a message of freedom. Because it doesn't matter how many points we scored on that bar chart. It doesn't matter how many verses you memorized when you were back in Sunday school that you could still tell us now. It's not about those things. It's not how many times you've served communion. It's about whether when this simple question is presented to you by Jesus, will you let it go and follow me? Will you let it go and follow me? Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. This is not a message about whether we're well off or not. It's not a message about wealth. This is a message about what are we so desperate to hold on to that we're missing out 
on all that Jesus has for us. I've heard the eye of the needle told numerous times in church. So I was shocked when I found out that at the time, and still in many places, it is a gate. The eye of the needle is a gate. It's a gate that camels would pass through. Donkeys would pass through. Animals, not camels, donkeys. Camels would probably struggle. They've got longer necks. But donkeys would pass through. The problem with it was that they couldn't pass through with anything on them. They couldn't pass through with that precious cargo that they'd carried for days on end. They couldn't pass through with the rider on their back. The only way they could pass through was to be unburdened, to have everything stripped away. The only way that these would pass through, the only way that they would get through the gate is by letting go. And we're aware that we can, we talked about parables, we talked about how Jesus wonderfully linked things that people could visualise from the day and age into his messages. This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments. The people would have understood that Jesus was saying, you need to lay down all of those things that burden you. All of that baggage that you're carrying. And in, in doing so, you are left with just you. And that's all Jesus is asking for. Jesus is saying, put down all the things that you think validate you. Don't be concerned what others think. Bring just yourself. How? Let's read that little part of the passage again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, Who then can be saved? How? This is our how moment. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. How do I let go? How do I give up fighting? How do I let my hurts heal? How do I stop myself from worrying what others think? How can I be unburdened by the pressures of this world? Hear the words of Jesus. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible, no matter the battle that you are going through, no matter the pain that you feel, no matter the struggles that you have, no matter how good your reputation might be, no matter what stature you hold, no matter who you think you are. You are invited to follow. Each of us, every one of us. With God, you can let go. With God, we can follow freely. It's an amazing challenge to us to put everything down. So the question again, what 
are you holding on to? Like I said, this is not a message about wealth. Don't be sat there going, you know what, I don't have much money, so this was not for me. What is it that you hold on to so tightly that you're desperately trying to drag through with you and Jesus is saying, you know what, let it go. Be free. This morning, you can do that. This isn't some big ritual. It's not some big process. doesn't matter how long you've been coming, how much you think you've already achieved. Jesus has more for you. Jesus has more for you. He has more for all of us. How? How do we gain this? We let go and we follow. I'm going to pray. Father God, I want to thank you. God, I want to thank you for accounts like this that we get to read where it becomes abundantly clear that this is not a simple message. God, we read of this figure who has so much going for him. And yet that challenge to lay down earthly things God, that challenge to let go of those things we hold on so tightly to was too hard for him. So God, with that in mind, I pray now for courage for those of us sat here who know there are things that we are holding on to. God, some of them are good things. But they define us. Father God, for some of us, they are bad things and they damage us. But the truth is, God, we hold on to them so tight. So God, I just pray now through your spirit, you would begin to bring freedom. God, you would begin to bring release. a simple invite to let go